0: Now, we're going to spend some time this evening taking a look at this fifth commandment, but I wanted to show you a couple of videos to soften your heart a little bit. And so they're kind of tear-jerky. The first one I want to show you is, uh, it really touched me. As you guys know, my dad had Alzheimer's for 15 years, and uh, he passed away last year. And I had some very profound moments with my father in the midst of the later stages of Alzheimer's where you think a person's life is irrelevant. And you've heard the story that I've shared about... um, this cataclysmic meeting that had to occur. My mother was dying of cancer. The surgery was botched. We knew she was going to pass. So we all had to get together, the four children, to decide what to do with mom. And if we wanted to do hospice, which we didn't think she'd make it to, and if we wanted to move her into a place next to my sisters, we all had to get together to decide this. And so we gathered. And my sister Gretchen was in charge of my mom's financial directives. My sister Nancy was in charge of her health directives. My older brother Lauren, the oldest of all four of us, um, lived out of the town, so mom didn't entrust him to anything, and I'm the youngest, so and I'm busy, so I didn't get any responsibility yet anyways, which you never give to the youngest child, and, uh, and so we all had to gather for this meeting. Now, my sister Gretchen, um, who's a lesbian, was livid with me because uh, time before this inevitable meeting, she'd asked me to officiate a wedding for her, And I said, I can't do it. It's against my ecclesiastical orders, and I I just don't believe in it. And she she came unglued, and our our relationship was tenuous at best. It was awful. And I knew that this meeting was going to be touchy because I had been engaged with a number of things, and I I wasn't fully involved with my folks, and she was taking the brunt of it, which she took upon herself willingly. And uh, I knew that it was going to be a really tense meeting but before we gathered at my sister Nancy's house, my brother and I went to go visit my dad at the rest home. So we sit down with my dad at the rest home. I sit next to my dad in a love seat in the garden. And I'm holding his hand, and my brother does this thing. If he visits my dad with my sisters or he visits my dad with me, he does the same thing every time and it's annoying. He pulls his chair up because he's the oldest and he needs his father's blessing. I don't know what it is about the older kids. I just I got to have it. So he pulls the chair up to my dad. My dad doesn't talk anymore. He's just my dad's literally like this. And my brother pulls a chair up right to my dad and lifts his head. And I'm holding my dad's hand. And I know what my brother's doing. It's irritating. He lifts my dad's head and he goes, Dad, I'm Lauren. Can you say Lauren? I'm your oldest son, Lauren. And while he's doing this, I'm irritated. I'm rolling my eyes. I'm just frustrated because it's like trying to teach a pig to sing. It annoys a pig and it's a waste of your time. So I can't correct him. And I'm holding his hand and he's doing this mantra and my dad squeezes my hand. I think, ah, that's sweet. My brother keeps doing it. My dad squeezes my hand again, and I get it. It's like the Lord spoke to me. And I, I kissed my dad, and I just shaved him. So he just, his cheeks were so soft. His hands were beautiful. He's a carpenter, amateur carpenter. as a hobby. His hands were just some of the most beautiful hands. And I kissed him, and I hugged his neck, and he smelled so good. He'd just been bathed. And we said goodbye. We got in the car, and we came back for the inevitable meeting. So we sit down. My siblings are on the other side of the table. My sister Gretchen's directly across from me. My other two siblings are here, and I'm right here. And my sister comes unglued from zero to angry. And she says, you don't love mom. You don't love dad. You don't love me. You don't care about this family." And she's just unleashing on me. My other siblings are kind of scooting away from the nuclear explosion. And in the middle of my sister's tirade, I go, Gretch, dad talked to me today. And it flusters her. She goes, he doesn't talk. And my brother goes, I was there. He didn't say anything. I go, he did. You weren't listening. And Gretchen loves my father. And Gretchen said, what did he say? I said, you know when Lauren does that mantra, I'm Lauren, can you say Lauren? And both my sisters are like, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, he did it today, and while he was doing it, I was holding Dad's hand. And he squeezed my hand once, and then Lauren kept doing it, and he squeezed my hand again, and this is what he said to me without words, Gretch. And she's looking at me intently. I said, Gretch, Dad said, Rob, Lauren wants something from me that I can no longer give him, and he's missing the things I can give him. A hand to hold, a cheek to kiss, and a neck to hug. And I said, Gretch, Dad gave that to us. It's a lesson for you and me. There are some things you'll never be able to give me, and there are some things I'll never be able to give you, but don't miss the things we can give each other. I've never missed your birthday. You know I love you. I went through the whole list of them. She started crying. I started crying. Big hug. Everything was settled, and we learned that from a man in the latter stages of Alzheimer's. And and parents have something to teach you in life, no matter how bad they are. Something, sometimes, sometimes, they can teach you what not to do. And you honor them. Honor doesn't mean you have to love them, it just means you honor them. Yeah, you know, going through my house that I grew up in as my dad's given me a tour of the house over and over and over again. I didn't need a tour of the house. I knew every nook and cranny of that place. But that was his coping mechanism. He'd give you a tour of the house. When he was finished giving you a tour of the house, he'd give you another tour of the house. I shared this story too that he'd never show you the the right side of the wall with all of his awards. I never noticed this till probably the the 20th time through. On the right side of the wall were all of his accomplishments and Time magazine and all these things. On the left side of the house or left side of the hallway on the upstairs were all the pictures of the family. He never showed you the right side of the wall. He always showed you the left side of the wall. And even as his memory was failing him, this is what he understood to be most important. And, and I, I think if we get back to this concept of honoring, we're going to be in a better place. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So if we understand the fifth commandment, our relationship with the Lord, who is our father, we obey him. You honor someone by obeying them. And... The first sin in the Garden of Eden was to question God's authority. And if you, you start to question that authority, and, and we'll go into the deeper nuances of it because I'm not. Uh, they're, they're, God says to, to honor your, your father and your mother. And you honor them, but if they ask you to be contrary to your relationship with your father in heaven, and your parents say to you, go and steal, or it's okay to watch pornography. You don't do that. You have a greater relationship with your heavenly Father, and and he'll he'll protect you in that regard. But in this place, you know, as it's possible with you, do it. Um, life is enjoyed best under authority and accountability. We don't do well as human beings if we have no authority and no accountability. Institutions don't operate well unless there's authority and accountability. We're fallen creatures. And we're, we're prone to take the path of least resistance. And if we have parents that apply restraint in order for us to obtain excellence, to front load us, this is the building block of this that creates a society that is resplendent. But if we don't understand accountability and authority at the earliest stage, first of all to the Lord and then to our earthly parents, we're wasting our time when it comes to expecting ourselves to have a government that is going to be anywhere efficient and effective. The military operates under authority and accountability. They have a clear chain of command. That's our responsibility as well. Everything, even as we studied on Sunday, a house divided will not stand. Jesus spoke that. I went through that whole picture with Lincoln, how in in three of the four gospels, this kingdom divided will not stand. And that one verse changed the course of the nation that lifted slavery from the fabric of our nation. That one, when he used and, and invoked that verse to to contest against Stephen Douglas, though he lost the Senate race, he ended up winning the presidency and was used by goddamn slavery in this country and and this idea that authority is of greatest importance in this idea of being accountable to God and then to your parents is, is paramount to anything that's going to be successful in culture. So you have, you have government in the home, in the church, in the workplace, in the nation, and we're called to honor authorities. And God has placed, who appoints all positions of authority according to Romans? Let's try that again. Who appoints all positions of authority? God. Do you hate your boss? Blame the Lord. And you have that boss because God's working out of you that characteristic. So when you're given that authority, you'll be able to say, I worked under this man and I don't ever want to be like him or this woman. I don't ever want to be like them. And there's always a lesson to be learned, but you can always honor the position. Father, you can always honor the position, yet you learn from it. I told you that story about David Lane, uh, one of our elders. His father was the largest car dealer uh, in Louisiana, was in the Chevy Hall of Fame. Tens of millions of dollars. And um, David and his brother... Um, and his mom, the father took off and left him. So David was left to be raised by his grandmother and his mother, no father figure in the home. His brother ended up dying at a young age. David uh, ended up dropping out of Ole Miss, and uh, he was the wildest, by his own admission, that of his peers, he was the wildest man that ever lived. He came to the Lord tried to reconcile with his father. He said one of the last things he remembers, you know, one of the things that, excuse me, one of the things he remembers vividly that's ingrained in his memory is this. He was shipped off to go live with his dad, and he was a tennis player, and he was making it, he was advancing, and he got to the the, uh, quarterfinals of the state championships. His dad said, you win it, he said, you get to keep this. You can drive it to the event, but when you win it, you get to keep it. It was keys to a new Corvette. And he drove that thing and ended up losing in the quarterfinals. He came home. His dad said, you win. He, go, he didn't even come to the game. He said, you win. He goes, no. He goes, throw the keys on the counter. And, and his dad finally kicked him out of the house, wanted nothing to do with him. Uh, the dad married the beauty queen from Louisiana. They ended up having two kids. And uh, his half-brother and his half-sister and, and the mom, the, the stepmom, um, were just well, not so much the, the stepbrother, but the, the stepsister and the, the stepmom were awful. And um, David reconciled with his father because he had reconciled with his heavenly father. And he finally came to a place where he said, Lord, thank you for putting this man into my life. I wouldn't be who I was today if he wasn't the anvil that prepared me. And David is, he's tough. And God's used him to do amazing things around the country. And he was at a place where he was able to thank his father and his dad was dying he went to go see his dad, led his dad to the Lord on his deathbed. His dad said, son, what can I do for you? He says, nothing, dad. You've done, you've done a, everything's fine. I'm, I'm doing well. He said, dad, what can I do for you? He said, son, we got a good name, and you've made that the reason, and I want you to carry that on. He says, you got it, dad. And he hugged him, and he said goodbye, and his dad passed and went to be with the Lord, stole home, And and they asked him to come to the reading of the will. And here's a man worth millions and millions of dollars. And they read the will, and his father left him absolutely nothing. Left it all to the stepsister and the stepbrother, and left him nothing. And David rejoiced and thanked the Lord that his father was in heaven. That's honor. We have every reason why our parents are the excuse why we can't achieve and all the things that happen to us. And we don't get to pick the parents we get in this world, but we can pick the kind of parent we're going to be. And this idea of honor is if you, if you hold the bitterness and make them the, the reason and the excuse for your failure, basically what you're doing is you're giving the memory of these people the key to keep you in a prison of bitterness. Instead of just thanking the Lord that, that he provided an anvil in your life that you can glean from their mistakes and learn and move forward and be grateful. And you honor them that way. My dad didn't know the Lord until latter years. I had the privilege to lead him to Christ. He didn't know the Lord. I remember I went to him. My girlfriend was pregnant. And I said, you know, we're getting married. He said, no, you're not. You ever get an abortion and you go on with your life. And I said, dad, I can't do that. It's against what I believe in. And he said, son, look where your beliefs have gotten you so far. He didn't know the Lord. He said, she needs to get an abortion. You need to move on with your life. Hey, I can't do that, dad. He said, let me make this clear. You marry that woman, give birth to that child, you'll never step foot in this house again. And my mother was nodding in agreement. I said, okay, I, I love you and I'm gonna miss you. And I walked out. And that was instrumental because I honored this father and I honored my father by walking out And God blessed both of them that through that, my mother confessed to having had two abortions between my sister and myself and that I was to be aborted. And she shared all that with me. And that was the impetus that led her to Christ as she had confessed that to a priest, Father Murphy. and, And on her deathbed, she'd shared a number of things with me in relation to that. And it led my dad to the Lord. And I can say that as I look back, I'm not bitter at my dad for the counsel. Why would he have given me that kind of counsel? Why, why do you think my dad would have given me that kind of counsel? He thought it was the best thing. In, in what he knew, he thought this is the best thing to protect you. I can't fault him for his limited knowledge, even though it's ingrained that we all know right and wrong. But somewhere along the line, he thought that this was practical. And, and as we reflected over the years, his heart started to change. And, and this is that idea that you honor your, your father and mother, and it'll go well with you. You'll live long on the earth. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says, "'Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake "'to every authority instituted among men, "'whether the, to the king as a supreme authority "'or to governors who are sent by him "'to punish those who do wrong "'and commend those who do right.'" Hebrews thirteen seventeen, "'Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. "'They keep watch over you as men "'who must give an account. "'Obey them so that their work will be a joy, "'not a burden.'" For that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, even in Jude 6, it says, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, uh, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Even angels understand authority. And, and this, is, this is that idea that God places authority and accountability because man has fallen and needs it. And if the primary authority is the Lord, and we as parents build this, now let me just say this. One of the reasons why kids don't honor authority is because you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Things are caught, not taught. Some of, some of the greatest opponents of Christianity were raised in Christian homes and want nothing to do with it. Because what they saw on Sunday didn't match the other six days of the week. And they they watched the duplicity of their family. They saw everything. They were made aware of all of it. And I think as parents, if we, you know, good kids don't just happen. Train a child in the way that they should go That when they're old, they won't depart thereof. And the idea is, train a child according to their bend. Understand your child. Understand their learning style. Understand what their nuances are. Understand the sensitivities. Understand them. And the only way you do that is to spend time with them. We don't spend, you know, in this culture, we're so busy we don't have time for our kids. I, I was I was so blessed to be in a two parent family. Granted, my mom and dad smoked like chimneys and drank like fish. But they, but. The, the one reason why they smoked and drank is so they could have cocktail hour and they would sit down with um, a martini and cigarettes and they would just process the day together and that was their time together and I look back on and I can be embittered that they drank too much, I can be embittered that they smoked too much but I'll tell you what, those times where they sat together they worked through all the details of the family and came to an understanding and kept that family together and and were married 57 years and they, they remain married and that was a blessing to us. We never went to church. By the time I came along, we were finished going even at Christmas and Easter. We were, we just I don't remember reading the Bible. I don't remember praying. But they held that family together. And and I saw my dad, and I saw the intricacies of the family and all those things, and I grew up with a respect for them. But one of the reasons why it's so hard for children to honor their, their father and their mother is because we give them very little reason to. We... we you know, when I was sitting with, I have to be careful because I'm mixing two positions and I have to keep a confidence. In, in executing um, responsibilities in the city, my mindset is this. I am not doing anything for the present. The Bible says a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So any, any action I desire to take at the city council is always looking forward to the next generation. We want the immediate for ourselves, and and we we borrow from tomorrow to leverage for today. And we bankrupt our children's future. How do we create an environment that will plant trees for whose shade we'll never see? And that's how we operate as family. Now, here's an interesting concept. We now are in the age where we have what's called the pig and the python, that after the baby boomers, we had this enormous birth of children. And, and this you, you can see it. It's like the, the python swallowed a pig, and this lump of births is just passing through the pig. Right? And then it goes into eternity. Right? And and this this so so if you followed the pig and the python, you wanted to get starter homes, and you wanted to do it before the wave came in, and then all of a sudden these boomers needed starter homes, and then you you invest and start building mid level houses, and they move into that, and then you 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 project the the pig and the python moving here, and you want to get McMansions because they're now coming into money, and then you you project you know uh, assisted living homes, and they go into this you know, and then you and then you go into funeral homes, and and this. This concept of the pig and the python passing through, and you're watching as this, this massive amount of birth has occurred, and, and here, you know, you, you, can, you can watch culture, but here's, here's the problem. We're now in this season where we farm our family into rest homes, and I'm not, listen, I'm not picking on anybody who's put their parents in a rest home. We did that, and it was a great rest home, and they did what we couldn't do for them considering all that we had to do and where we lived. I'd offered to have dad come stay with us, but they wanted to have dad. You know, we went through every scenario and this was the best one. But why is it that God says be fruitful and multiply? What does be fruitful and multiply mean? Procreate. Procreate. Have kids. And and what are kids? A burden, or what does the Lord say of kids? I'm sorry? They're a blessing from the Lord. The the joke is, the definition of a father is a man who carries pictures of his children in his wallet where his money used to be. (laughs) They're expensive, right? I mean, think of all the trips Michelle and I could have taken if we were dinks. Dual income, no kids. I mean, all the properties we could own, all the things we we could do. But I'm at this stage where we're watching one after another move out, and the nest is getting quieter. And you're you're looking at each other going, what are we going to do when they're gone? We're going to have to, like, talk to each other. But but as you watch this, why is it that the Lord says, Be fruitful and multiply? Because he wants to overpopulate the earth and ruin all of our resources or our future. I got five kids, guess what? I have a retirement. If I take care of my kids. If they've if 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 I've given them a good example, raise them in the love and the admonition of the Lord. We've held this form of government together. They have been impressed by it deeply. They've come to have a relationship with the Lord, and all five of my children walk with God. I get to the stage where I'm no longer capable. What do I have waiting for me? Five kids that love mom and dad. That's kind of a cool thing, because at that stage, when I'm ready to wind it down, they're just coming into their financial strength if they keep these promises. So now it'll, you'll, it'll go well with you. You live long on the earth. I learned that from my folks, and I taught my children, and here I am, and now they're there to help. And this is the provision, because we've cared for them. They care for us. And that's the way it's supposed to work. But nowadays, we get them as far away because they're no longer useful. And I'm starting to realize that at 52, almost 53, that, you know, your teenage sons don't have time for you. I got muscles now, and the girls are interested in me, and I don't have time for you. And uh, you're getting a little flabby, Dad, and, you know. I'm thinking, okay, all right, buddy. You'll get yours. But, But early on, they were dependent on you for everything, and now they come to a place where independence starts to come, and you become insignificant. And they kind of cherish that moment where, hey, I don't need you anymore, and they kind of let you know that. It's really sweet that way. And they let you know that. And you come to a place where you go, wait a minute, what about me? Well, that was never the intention because children are only successful in life when we pour into them. If we think children are to make us happy or spouses to make us happy, we got it all backwards. God did not come to be served, but to serve. And you pour into them by serving them. How do you serve them? By example. And then when you get to that stage, they're gonna boomerang around and they're gonna come to you for those critical moments. Dad, what did you do? I think of those times, some of the most precious times. I was on the Colorado River with my father and he was tired and the rest of the, the, the Boy Scout troop went on ahead and my dad wanted to take a nap and I let him sleep. He, yeah, actually he was asleep and they all had to head out and I didn't want to wake him up. And off they went and I just waited for him to wake up. He woke up and he goes, where is everybody? I said, I, I let him go. He goes, well, let's get going. We gotta catch up with him. I said, okay, Dad. And they were gone. It was just the two of us. And he just started pouring wisdom. And I started to realize what a precious gift. Even at that age, at, at 15 years of age, I'm paddling this canoe, listening to the man talk about his dad. Now he hitchhiked across the country. And all these things I'm taking in. And, and this, is, this is passing on to the next generation. And this is the way it's supposed to be. As we pour into lives, those lives ultimately come back and pour into us. And I would say, set that example. So they want to, you're, you're, you're going to be their boss, but you're also the person they come to for wisdom and connection. And today I got a call. Uh, I, I called Don McClure, my pastor. And the minute he picked up, and I know that guy's so busy. He always picks up when I call. Always. Rob, how are you? And he goes down the list of the family. And, and we have this relationship where if I have any question or concern, he pours into me. And, and in a sense, he's kind of this, this uh, in loco parentis. In the absence of my father, He's there. And that's because I served that man. And I served him so well that he never forgot me and never will. And even to this day, we still support his ministry and we care for him and they're blown away by it. And that's the whole point is set an example. Set an example to your kids that they're going to want to emulate. And I'll tell you the greatest example that you can set for your kids if you want them to emulate it is care for your own parents. If your kids grow up here and you go my dad is such a jerk my mother i don't even want to talk to him i don't want to see him i don't i hate them careful because that's going in and you're coming here and the python is about to pass you who's going to hold your hand in the process who's going to be with you and that's that's why the lord is establishing this level of government because we're to we're to set that example for generations third fourth fourth generations the pray the prayer i pray over my boys is god protect their purity and their innocence give them a supernatural love for your word a heart to proclaim it um bless them with a godly spouse and godly kids and godly grandkids for generations to come that they would honor you and god give me wisdom to raise them that i would honor you and i pray that in their presence and 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 you know, I know both of those boys have memorized that prayer. I know that prayer is going to be uttered by them at some stage in their life on their children. Because they're going to look back and see the fruit of, of what we front-loaded. So this admonition goes out to parents. And, and if you're telling your kids not to lie or to cheat, and you're lying and you're cheating, and you're telling them that the anger of, ma- the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God, and you're snapping at everybody... And and you want them to honor your you want them to honor you, but yet you don't honor your spouse, and you yell at them and call them names in their presence. The, the kids aren't stupid. They watch the way you treat other human beings. They watch the way you drive on the road. They watch the way in which you interact with people that are in disagreement, have you know opposing views of yourself. They watch that. And and this is the destruction of the culture. Now, that's a heaviness on parents, and I've received all those exhortations, and now let's move on. Let's talk to kids. When do you honor your mother and father? Always. Always. Does that mean, does that mean you obey them to do evil? No. The best way you can honor them is to honor the Lord walk out when they say you'll never step foot in here again I love you and I'm going to miss you if this is what you're saying I, I have a greater allegiance to the Lord and that's where I'm going and God will honor that but really think about the things that you can do to honor your parents even lousy ones and, and take the illustration of David Lane for example if God appoints those positions of authority look into that and figure out ways to speak kindly of them I'll give you a perfect example You guys know some of the greatest world leaders of time. Let's just take two in particular. Let's take Winston Churchill and Ronald Reagan. Churchill's father was a philanderer and died of syphilis. His mother was even worse, and the stories about her are renowned. In the Victorian era, where parents didn't even spend much time with their kids, the Churchills were exponentially worse. Churchill's father was just across the street from Harrow School where he was attending and his father didn't even want to go over and visit him. His son, you can read the correspondence, his son would write him the dearest of letters and his dad wouldn't even respond. His dad called him retarded. He said, you'll never amount to anything, you're stupid. And nowhere in any of, of Churchill's writings in his biography, nowhere does he speak ill of his father. And he says, my greatest regret is that I never got to serve in parliament with my father. He never, he never used that as an excuse not to achieve. He said, okay, this is what I've been given, and I'm going to make the best of it. Reagan, his nickname was Dutch growing up because he looked like a little Dutch boy. They called him Dutch. His father was a shoe salesman, an alcoholic. They moved dozens of times. They were the laughing stock of the community. Reagan remembers as an 11-year-old boy dragging his father in from the snow as he had fallen face down in a drunken stupor and the neighbors looked at it and it was typical for Reagan's dad to do this. Reagan went and brought his father in. He was freezing, got him warmed up, took care of him. You never, never heard Reagan say one bad thing about his father. Not one. He said, alcohol troubled my dad's life. Which is a true statement. Wasn't derogatory, never... Never said anything poor about his father, and used that, and saw the blessing in it, and moved forward. Um, my, I, I, my grandfather died the year I was born. My paternal grandfather, and my dad spoke of Pop kindly. He, he showed me uh, a Japanese helmet that had a bullet through the top of it that my my grandfather had killed this Japanese in the Lucian Islands. And he had fought in World War I and was a Blackjack Pershing and fought in World War II. And um, he said he was a car salesman. He sold, uh, uh, what was the big luxury car back then? Not a Studebaker. Packards. He sold Packards. He said, he never made much money and we always struggle. You know, he was born in California. We went back to Indiana where his family's from. We came back out to Los Angeles and then I was born. And dad was always traveling. Never saw much of him. But, and he said nothing but nice things. I didn't find out later until my aunt, Jean, who was the youngest of the children, told me, she said, yeah, Pops was a town drunk, and we'd be in the school bus going to vacation Bible school, and we'd be driving over the bridge, and all the kids on the bus would be laughing at the drunk on the bridge, and that was Pops. My dad never said anything like that. I do know that my grandfather died of cirrhosis of the liver. Um, my, my grandmother, I found out from my aunt Jean, was the tarot card reader, and she was, you know, she'd read everybody's fortunes and poems. And my mother never spoke poorly of, of her father, except for one time. My my maternal grandmother died when my mother was 17. My My maternal grandfather, I never knew. I didn't even know his name until I was in my 30s. And it all occurred when I called my mother to tell her that Michelle was pregnant, and we had, you know, and and we had prayed, and God told us it was going to be a boy, and we prayed about a name, and we both put the name in an envelope. We were going to open it at Christmas, and we opened it at Christmas along with the ultrasound to find out the sex, and we knew it was a boy anyways because God had given us a verse, And, and we opened the envelope, and both envelopes said Daniel, and the ultrasound said boy, and we were like, God is so in this, and I called my mom, and I told her the story, and I was just elated, and I thought she'd be stoked, and And uh, she said, no grandchild of mine will be named Daniel. And I go, Mom, did you not hear the story? I mean, this was a move of God. And she said, no, we're not naming him Daniel. And I'm not having this conversation. I don't want to have this conversation. I said, Mom, what you have got. She goes, I'm not explaining. I'm going. And she hung up. I called her right back. I go, you're not hanging up. Uh, You got to. You at least owe me an explanation. I mean, I shared with you this God story and you're shutting me down. You have to give me some explanation. You can't just shut me out like that. I wouldn't do that to you. She said, I'm going to only tell you this once. What's your grandfather's name? And I remember when Daniel was born and my mom was at the hospital. And I put Daniel in her arms and she held him. And she kept saying over and over again, Daniel, Daniel. You could see this cathartic event occurring where she's processing in time and the, the name meant something so awful to her. And it, it, it just settled. And, and we've got to reconcile all the past hurt. And, and don't, let's, let's get off the merry-go-round of blaming our parents That that deserves an amen. That was worthless. (laughs) Let's get off the merry-go-round of blaming our parents. You can't change the past. You can only affect the future, and that depends on if you want to honor them. And God appointed them. Find the lessons that you learned, even if they were negative examples of who you are today, and give thanks for that. You can either be David Lane and end up you know, the wildest man who ever lived and addicted to everything or come to a relationship with the very first parent, which is your father in heaven, and let that apply to your earthly parents. Now to honor earthly parents that are flawed. And by the way, that represents every set of parents on the face of the earth. Yes. In Luke chapter two, you can read this. Jesus honored his mother and father. Why? Because it's the commandment. I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He honored his mother and father. And he's the one, when he was in the temple, and they said, where have you been? We've been looking everywhere for you. And he just said, I'm surprised you're you're shocked. I'm, I'm about my father's business. You knew this. The angels spoke to you. I mean, I'm about my father's business. And this is the funny one. You have a teenager who says, mom, mom, dad, dad, you don't understand. You ever had that one? Where have you But You don't understand. I got Let me explain. Well, in this case, Jesus was legitimate, not the rest of the teenagers in the world or the rest of the kids. In this case, he's right. But he still submitted to his mother and father. And what's fascinating is this is a kid that was without sin, was still honoring sinful parents. He watched them argue. He watched them have issues. He watched all the struggles. We don't know what happened to Joseph. We don't know what happened to the family. We know they had other siblings. We know they had other children. Imagine growing up in a family where your brother is God. I mean, you look at the study of James, and, and James is like, I, and, and the scriptures even said that, that they, they wanted to take him away because they thought he was insane. They came to get him. And Jesus said, my, who are my mother and father? But those who do the will of my father in heaven. And, and they, they wanted to, to scurry him away. And, and James didn't believe that, that Jesus was God. And he comes to this knowledge of him, and 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 here this brother is submitted. Uh, Jude, the reason why he doesn't call himself Judas, Jude is the dim, diminutive name of Judas because he was related to Christ, and he didn't he didn't want to, you know, use the name Judas. So he called himself Jude, and be like calling yourself Pete, the you know, First Pete, Second Pete, and 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 here. All of these siblings came to an understanding of who he was. And this was a fascinating family, but Jesus honored his mother and father. And it'll go well with you. You'll live long on the earth. Um, I would say, in a sense, you you accept your parents because God appointed them. And in a fallen world, we're going to get gypped. It's that simple. And I'm not saying accept your parents because they're beating you every night. I'm not saying accept your parents because they're... They rage when they're alcoholics or they want you to do drugs or they want you to go down the market and steal something. I'm not saying that. And, and scanning the room, I, maybe a small, minute percentage would be able to relate to that. But for the most part, we just had parents that blew it. But don't use that as an excuse not to honor them. Because my question to you is, have you ever blown it? Amen. Amen. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And it does a number when it comes to healing families and restoring that building block to go this way, to establish government that's healthy. Um, You accept them, that they're appointed by God. It's who you ended up with. You appreciate them. How do you appreciate your parents? Think of practical ways to appreciate them. Huh? Helping is a great one, yeah. Do things without being asked. Yeah. Be concerned for their welfare. Now, granted, parents love to lord it over you. Bible says, honor your mother and father. I mean, that's the one verse my parents knew. That's it. That's the one verse they knew. Honor your mother and father. I'm like, where is that in the scripture? I don't know, but it's there. And, and, and we always play that card. Honor your mother and father. And, and my, my favorite is the, the weak husband. I mean, and this is a weak husband. Wife, submit. If you have to say those words, it's voluntary submission. If you have to say those words to your wife, you are a weak man. That's an admonition to the wife, not to the husband. And you don't lord it over her. Love, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Christ has never spoken to me that way. It's his kindness that leads me to Repentance. Did you get that? And so you serve one another in love, submitting to God the Father, submitting to one another, and this is the picture God gives us. So you appreciate them. Tangible, practical appreciation of your parents, and then obviously you affirm them. You know, I remember my dad, we were on an airplane. It was the last trip we ever took, um, and and I'd say about eight months later, he's in a rest home. And uh, we went on a cruise, and and. I was invited to go to be kind of their chaperone. So it was going to be my parents, Dr. Crilly, and then Michelle and I, and we were supposed to take care of all three of them because they were elderly. And Dr. Crilly pulled out, so we invited Molly to take her place. And so our whole job is to take care of mom and dad. Well, Michelle and Molly kind of go off having a good time, and I'm kind of left to, and, and they're resting on the plane. And my dad, in this long flight over to Germany, starts flipping out. Why, why do I have to sit here? What's going on? And he starts getting agitated in his Alzheimer's. He goes, I want off this stupid plate. And he goes over to the door to open the door. I, Dad, you can't touch that. No, Dad. And he's, he's like getting angry. And I go, Dad, Dad, come on. Come sit down. And everybody, it's everybody's sound asleep. And I get him to come over and sit in the seat. And I said, Dad. And, and I prayed. And I just said, God, what do I do? And the Lord just said, tell him why he's so special to you. And I go, Dad, I want to tell you something. What? I said you you're a remarkable father and you're a remarkable husband i mean i watch the way you dote over mom and you've cared for all these years it's inspired me with michelle i said you've been a really good dad i started going down the list and he's listening intently and as i'm just talking to him he falls asleep and, and i think that these are very practical applications that you know you honor him you honor him uh 1 Timothy 5 says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel or an unbeliever. I mean, when, when, when someone comes and says they have need, the first thing I ask them is, can't your family take care of you? Because that's the scriptural mandate. Oh, I don't have a great, they're, they're the stupid, they're pathetic, I don't. And I'm looking going, well, there's a reason why you're in this spot. You have no familial relationship. You have burned every bridge. And, and they're the ones who are supposed to care for you at this stage in your life. You don't have anybody to help you. You've really burned that bridge. There's time to redeem it. There's a chance to fix it. But the Lord commands us as children to care for them. And this is this is honor. Take care of them when they're older. Just because they're difficult doesn't mean you don't care for them. Love on them. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he turned to John, and what did he say? And these are his last words, the dying words. Now, he said, to diet is finished. He said, I thirst." And we can go through a number of them, but Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But what was what was one of the statements he said to John? He said, "Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son." He took care of his earthly issue. And I was in Ephesus, where they say that that John brought Mary, and Catholics believe that's where she was translated and she's taken up, which I don't buy. But and I remember this vividly that we got to Ephesus on that trip. And there's my dad. He's wandering around, doesn't know where he is, and he's just following my mother because that's all he knows. He's almost forgotten her name, but he's still following her everywhere she goes. And she's, she's taking it all in, and, and she turns to me. And, and if you see this location where Mary's house is, it's above the city of Ephesus, and it's shrouded in trees, and it's got this beautiful panoramic scenery, and it's just a stunning, peaceful location. It's got a well there. It's beautiful. It is absolutely stunning. There's just something precious about it. And you get up there, and, and my mom is just taken by it. And I'm like, this is, this is a joke, Mom. I mean, my parents really, my, my mother especially, was really pressing into Catholicism. I just said, Mom, she wouldn't translate here. She goes, I'm not, that's not what I'm thinking. And she got kind of frustrated with me. I go, Mom, why are you so moved by this place? She says, it's beautiful. I said, it is beautiful. It's stunning. And she said, Rob. If John took Mary here, God took care of her, didn't he? I said, yeah, Mom. So if something happens to Dad, God's going to take care of me? I go, you bet, Mom. And she goes over to, the, to the, the well, the fountain, and she fills up bottles of water. She came to all her friends. She said, the Lord's going to take care of it. And that's what the water meant for her. And you know, God took care of her to the very end. Took care of my dad to the very end. And this is that picture. Jesus took care of his mother, and that's what God intends for us to do as well. Um, I want to show you another video just to touch your heart. Let's show the one. Did you find a better version of it, Sam? Okay, let's try it. Take a look at this. This is a, dad, a dad's love and a, and a son. This, this is, I don't know how grainy it is, but this one really, really touched me. Um, here we go. Let's lower the lights. What you're about to see now was a surprise for a little boy whose dad has been in Iraq. The scene is a small town in northwest Washington state. U.S. Navy ensign Bill Hawes, who spent the past seven months deployed to Iraq, decided to surprise his six-year-old son, John, at school. John didn't know it till he laid eyes on his dad. It took young John a long time to stop crying, but when he did, he mustered the courage to introduce his dad to his classmates, who had all written him letters while he was deployed. It's tough to take, but welcome home. We're back with more right after this. That's good. Uh, we're out of time, so I'll leave you with this. Um, two events I remember with my father. One is um, when he came home from Vietnam, landed at Lindbergh Field, and he was in his military uniform. I was so excited to see him. I wasn't sure what to make of him because I hadn't seen him in so long, and I was so young but he gave me a big hug and I just wouldn't let him go I remember as we were walking out somebody spit on him one of the protesters my dad my dad just wiped it off he just kept walking I remember being at the Washington Monument when we were stationed in the Navy Yard we went out there for America Day and the protesters were out there and they started throwing stuff I remember my dad taking my hand and just putting me behind himself and just standing there bigger than life And then the other memorable occasion was he was back home. He'd had three tours of Vietnam, Saigon had fallen. The refugees were pouring out. He saw these pictures in the nightly news. And my dad said, you want to come with me? I said, where are we going? He said, we're going to Camp Pendleton. I said, okay, dad. And I got in the car with him. We drove from Coronado to Camp Pendleton, I don't know, an hour or so pull through the military base, I give him the salute, and Marines do. We drive through the back roads of Camp Pendleton, and we come to this massive tent city as far as the eye could see tents. And they're all Vietnamese refugees. He gets out, and he goes to the front, he gets some directives, they point him where to go. He says, come on, son. I get out of the car, start walk, walking with him through this sea of Vietnamese we get to the numbered tent. He goes in and Captain Nguyen sees him, gives him a hug. First he salutes him, then hugs him. And Captain Nguyen, his wife, uh, Lon, or no, he, he was Lawn, she was Din. She comes out, and my dad had never met her before, and she bows, and he hugs her. And they start walking back with us, and I go, Dad, what's going on? He goes, well, this is your new brother and your new sister. They're going to come live with us. They came into the house. I remember uh, Captain Nguyen's wife was cooking and uh, she was cooking fish. My mom never allowed fried food in the house. She hated the smell of, f- especially fish. She never cooked fish. And the stench was just unbearable. And it caught fire. And In their town, in their hamlet, you just put it on the ground and kick dirt over it. So she knocked it off and landed on the brand-new carpet in the kitchen, burned the... And I'm like, oh, no, my mom is going to destroy her. My mom came in and said, let me help you with that, and helped her. Don't worry. And she's just genuflecting and so concerned. And my mom says, it's not a problem. I'm looking bewildered. My mom would have beaten me to an inch of my life. And I, I pull her aside, and I go, mom... Why didn't you get upset? She said, Rob, they've lost their country. We can replace carpet. At my mom's funeral, Captain Nguyen had passed, but his five children all had doctorates. Every one of them was named by my mother. All of them showed up to honor my, my mother. And um, Mrs. Nguyen hugged me and she kept looking up at me. You've gotten so big. And then when my dad died, they were all there again. That's honor. We've lost it in our culture. And I think if we apply that, the pyramid goes this way. This is not an exercise in futility This is the building block for all of culture. And and I think that this commandment, which is the segue into our relationship with each other, begins with our relationship with the Lord. We honor him. We honor our parents. It'll go well with us, especially in our our community and our culture. God will bless it.